The kingdom of God is counter to the kingdoms of this world. And understanding the kingdom at times certainly does require us to abandon our carnal mind and our need to always be in control. There will be times, perhaps you've encountered some, where our logic comes in contradiction with kingdom principles. And when that happens, then we must be willing to push past human reasoning and have faith in God. We are called to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and to lean not to our own understanding. For His ways are higher than our ways. And as far as the heavens are above the earth, His thoughts are above our thoughts. And there is a way that does seem right to a man. When we reason, when we figure, it seems right. But Scripture says that the end thereof are the ways of death. And so for the believer, there is this constant tension between our human instinct, our human intuition, and kingdom principles. God's ways are often counterintuitive, but they bring great blessing. Now that is not to say that in order to serve God, we have to check our mental faculties at the door and discard all brain function and just walk blindly. That's, that's not what I'm preaching tonight. God gave you your brain, and we all thank God for it. He gave us the ability to understand and to reason, to make decisions, and to choose this day who we will serve. But there are certainly points when we have to leave human reasoning behind and start walking by faith instead of sight because this truly is a counterintuitive kingdom. This is a kingdom in which the humble become exalted and the last become first and the one who loses his life finds it. In this kingdom, strength comes through weakness. Freedom comes through submission. And we truly find life when we die to ourselves. And if I take just a few moments and try to understand all of that, my carnal mind can't process it. If I try to figure out, well, if I want to get ahead, it just makes sense that, it, well, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and I've got to climb the corporate ladder, and if I have to step on a few hands or a few heads along the way, then so be it. That's how the natural mind might perceive it, but that's not the kingdom. And I think we would all agree that these biblical paradoxes, they run counterintuitive to the carnal mind, which is why Paul said in Romans 8 to be carnally minded, not, not sinfully minded, just of the flesh minded. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, your natural mind, Paul said it is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Can I tell you that your natural mind, your carnal mind, it's not subject to the laws of God. It doesn't come prepackaged with all the principles of the kingdom, and it's impossible for it to be so. It's impossible. And so then they that are in the flesh, they cannot please God. Strong words from the Apostle Paul. So we can see then, there will come moments when in order to do the will of God, we must be willing to relinquish control, to let go of the need to understand everything in order to embrace the kingdom. Everyone say the kingdom. So with that as a foundation, I take you now to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 in particular. And on this day, Jesus 
is addressing a large crowd of disciples who have followed him up on the mountainside. And there Jesus teaches them many things concerning the kingdom. And truth be told, much of what he addressed that day in his sermon, it certainly runs counter to what seems right to the natural mind. He gives them the Beatitudes, and we won't take the time, but many run completely opposite, upstream to our carnal humanity. He teaches about having anger towards your brother, how that's really like murder, and how lust in your heart is really like adultery. He tells them to love your enemies by turning the other cheek and to even pray for those who persecute you. Now that's counterintuitive. He says that all true disciples will be among those who give, who pray, who fast. He talks about the plank and the speck, narrow gates and broad roads, solid rock and sinking sand, among other things. But nestled right in the middle of his sermon, Jesus gives the disciples gathered a powerful counterintuitive kingdom principle. It's found in Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Everyone say, seek first the kingdom. This principle is rooted in teaching about money and materialism, and I promise this is not a sermon about your finances. It certainly applies in that area. Jesus nestled this principle in the context of money. He uses it as a case study so that he can relay the kingdom to his disciples. And he begins talking and he says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because heavenly investments don't depreciate. They don't rust or get moth-eaten. Thieves can't break into heaven's vault and steal it, but not so on earth. Earthly investments are susceptible to all of the above. Rust and moths and thieves. Earthly goods depreciate. Earthly goods break. And you may not realize it, but every tangible material good that you currently own, everything in your possession is somewhere along the journey of one day going to the landfill. All of it. I don't know who has the nicest car or who's wearing the nicest clothes, but can I tell you something? All of it is going to the dump someday. That's earthly goods. All of it is temporal. None of it will last. And so when we're presented with this teaching, it feels like Jesus gives us a dichotomy. It feels like he gives us an either-or scenario. Either eternal things or temporal things. And I would guess tonight that as I'm preaching, all those in my hearing, I, I would guess that, that most, if not all of us, in our heart of hearts, we want to choose eternal treasures and not temporal ones. But then we're faced with the reality of everyday life and we're faced with the needs of life. Jesus, what about all the stuff I need? Because I do need a roof over my head and I do need food in the refrigerator and I need to be able to put food and meals on the table for my kids, and I need clothes on my back. Jesus, these aren't greeds. These are needs. But to that, before they can even express the sentiment, Jesus, he, starts, he continues talking, and he says, well, take no thought 
for all these things. Take no thought for tomorrow. Don't worry about that stuff. Don't fixate and don't obsess because these same things dominate the minds of unbelievers and you're a child of God. You're different than everybody else in this world, so don't fret about where your food will come from and don't worry about what you're going to have to wear. God knows your needs. God knows my name. He knows where I am. He knows what I have need of. And so Jesus gives the principle, but seek ye first the kingdom. And if you'll do that, all these things will be added. All of those things that you do need, not greeds, but needs. He said, I'll add them to your life if you'll but seek first the kingdom. So if I pause long enough to really really ingest this principle, I recognize that it's really, it's not a choice between one or the other, is it? It's not a choice between eternal or temporal things. It's not a choice between God's kingdom or my kingdom. That's not the choice. It's really a choice between having God's blessing on all of the above or none of it at all. Because the promise is that if I choose his kingdom, Everything I could have gone after, I get anyway. Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added. And my natural mind can't compute this. And when I try to crunch all the numbers, it doesn't add up. But God invites us to step out in faith and to embrace and trust his promise and seek his kingdom first. And everything else we have need of, all of these things we get anyway. During the time in the Old Testament after Israel's captivity, there's a remnant and they've returned to the land of Israel. But as we read their story, we recognize that their priorities are out of whack. And the prophet Haggai, he begins indicting the people of God because they were building their own houses before they built God's house. They have chosen to prioritize their own kingdom before God's kingdom. And because of this, things were not going well for them. And the prophet shows up one day and he's speaking on behalf of God, and he says, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house, God's house, lies in ruins? In verse 5, God almost begins to poke at them, and he says, look at what's happening to you. He says, you've planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you can't keep warm, and your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. God was speaking to the people and he said, you're taking the resource of your life and you're investing it in your own kingdom, but you have diminishing returns because you're prioritizing yourself instead of prioritizing me. And you put this much in, but, but on the other side of it, you're only getting this much out. In verse 9 he said, you hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your har harvest home, the stuff you did amass to yourselves, at the end of it, God said, I, I blew it away. My blessing and my favor wasn't upon it. And the reason is because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. And to that, I can only imagine the people looking back, back at Haggai and praying to God and saying, but God, I need a house to live in. God, I need these things. 
And if I build God's house, then I'll have less time to build my house. But that's not true, is it? And ultimately, that's where faith comes in because, yes, there may be less when I prioritize the kingdom, but it will feel like more because my less, it becomes blessed. You see, it's not that God was wanting something from the people. God was wanting something for the people. They had removed themselves from the avenue to the blessing and the favor of heaven. And God was saying, if you'll just get things in order, if you'll prioritize my kingdom instead of your kingdom, the less that you have, the less that you have, it will go far further and you'll accomplish far more. That's what happens when you seek the kingdom first. Because everything I thought I was giving up when I prioritized God's kingdom, I get to have it anyway. Because if I'll seek his kingdom first, all these things, they will be added to my life. If we put God first, brothers and sisters, it is both beautiful and it is bountiful. If we seek first the kingdom, we get the kingdom and all the rest anyway. This really is not a hard choice, is it? This is not a difficult choice. If I could give you a choice between nothing or everything. Well, that's the choice that the Lord gives us in his word. Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added. The promise of the word of God is that if you will take the resource and the energy that you would have spent seeking temporal treasures and building your own kingdom and building your own proverbial houses and instead place it on eternal things and on God's kingdom, not only do you receive eternal blessings, but the temporal stuff gets thrown in anyway. This is not an either-or proposition from God. It's a both-and proposition. Again, we think the choice is between his kingdom or our kingdom, but that's not the choice. The choice is between having God's blessing on all of the above or nothing at all. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you'll get the earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. That's my sermon in a nutshell. We could dismiss. I'll go on if that's okay. Aim at heaven and you'll get the earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Can I remind us tonight that we really are not leaving anything behind. We're really not losing out on anything when we choose to prioritize the things that God cares about. But this is bigger than just mere money and stuff. This is far bigger and goes far beyond what Jesus called Mammon, materialism, it's, it's bigger than that. This is a fundamental principle of the kingdom that we see woven throughout the pages of Scripture. And so consider with me tonight Abraham in Genesis 22 when he is asked by God to offer his promised son Isaac on the altar as a burnt offering. Abraham, offer your son, your only son Isaac. This didn't make sense to Abraham. It doesn't really make sense to us. Why would God ask such a thing? The price is too great. Abraham has finally received the blessing of a son through Sarah, and now it seems as though all of their faith and all of their hoping and longing was for naught. And to the natural mind, the sensible thing to do would be withhold Isaac and, and go into self-preservation mode and choose not to obey God's call for sacrifice. That's logical. God, you gave this promise to me. 
It doesn't make sense for me to give it up, even for you. But Abraham chose instead to listen to God's voice. And he and his son went up Mount Moriah to worship. Abraham thought he was choosing between offering a sacrifice or keeping Isaac alive. But that wasn't really the choice, was it? It was really a choice between trusting God or not trusting God. And Abraham made the right choice. He chose to have faith in God. And because Abraham chose obedience, not only was he able to offer a burnt offering as a sacrifice, he also got to walk back down the mountain with Isaac still alive. And the two things that Abraham thought he had to choose between, he ended up walking away with both. Because if you will choose to trust God, and if you will choose to do His will first, God will take care of all these things. All the things that you thought you would have to go without, that's the power of seeking the kingdom of God first. Is there not a temptation for self-preservation? Is there not a temptation just, well, God, I understand, and I understand that selling out, it sounds good on paper, and I, I, I read the scripture, and, and I read about people, they were all in for the kingdom, and I get that, but God, you know, I'm different. I don't know that that principle will work for me, God. Does it really work in the 21st century? And do you even know where I am? I'm, I'm, I'm like over here in the armpit of Canada and in, in New Brunswick and I have not province, and God, I mean, I don't know if it's going to work. But if we will seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added. Consider the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament as well. When he comes in contact with the widow at Zarephath, it's the middle of a drought. It hasn't rained for months. And the prophet Elijah has the audacity to ask this widow woman for a drink of water. Sir, do you not realize it hasn't rained? In fact, you just left a brook that dried up and now you're coming to me and you're saying, give me water to drink. And before she can even really respond, Elijah goes further and says, oh, oh, and can you bring me a piece of bread too? Make me a cake too. Well, she didn't have any bread. In fact, all she had was a handful of flour and a little cooking oil. And all she had in mind was feeding her and her son one last meal and then they would die. That was her mindset. One more meal the Last Supper, and then we'll perish. But Elijah says, uh, uh, Ma'am, instead of feeding your family, feed the man of God first. Sounds good. Make your bread, bake your cake, do what you need to do, but don't eat it. Feed it to me. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Verse 13 of 1 Kings 17. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but, but make a little bread for me first. Everyone say first. And then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and for your son. And if you'll do that, here's the promise of God. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. I think we can appreciate that this made absolutely no sense to the natural mind because that widow woman, she had measured the flour and she'd measured the oil and she knew she had just enough to either feed the prophet or to feed her and her family, her and her son. 
She thought it was a choice between feeding Elijah or feeding themselves. But that wasn't really the choice, was it? Because we know the story and we see the end from the beginning and it was actually a choice between trusting God or not trusting God. That's the choice. That's really the choice for all of us. Are we going to trust God? Are we going to take his word at face value or will we choose to not trust God? That was the choice. The choice to do God's will or to not do it. And because she chose to do the will of God and because she chose to feed the prophet first and because she chose to seek the kingdom first, it opened the door to the miraculous and it also gave her what she thought that she was giving up. Not only was she able to feed the prophet Elijah, she was still able to feed herself and her son and not just for one day, but for many days and many weeks and many months until the rain started falling again and the drought was over. The flour never wasted and the oil never dried up. There was always something there. Every time she went to make bread and it fed her and the son and the prophet for many, many days. She found out that day that if you will be a vessel that pursues God's kingdom, say it first. Everyone shout first. Then God will give you the kingdom. It is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. If we will seek after it, he'll give us the kingdom, but also everything else that we could have pursued in its place. All these things will be added. We've all heard it, and I think it's true, that if we will make God's business our business, then God will make our business his business. If I will make God's kingdom my priority, then God will make my kingdom his priority. So I seek first his kingdom, not my kingdom. I seek first his kingdom and all these things. Everyone shout these things. All these things will be added. I'll give you one more example if that's okay. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeding the 5,000. Perhaps many of us are familiar with the story, but consider not just Jesus in this story. Let's not even consider the lad and his lunch, but consider with me the disciples when he feeds the 5,000. The young lad offers the lunch. It's five loaves and it's two fish, and Jesus multiplies it, and many are fed, and this is powerful. But if you read John chapter 6, verse 11, Scripture is very clear that Jesus took the loaves and then in succession, he took the fish and he broke them. He blessed them, but he did not distribute them to the people. He looked to his disciples and he distributed the bread and then the fish later to them. He broke it and he passed it to his disciples first, not to the people. And they in turn distributed to the crowds. Jesus put food in the hands of his followers and perhaps if the disciples had a self-preservation mentality, if they would have chosen to take care of their own hunger first before the hunger of others, the miracle would have stopped with them. It was already a miracle that five loaves and two fish could be broken and distributed to 12 men. That's a, that's a miracle in and of itself, enough to feed a dozen grown men from five loaves and two fish. 
but you have to appreciate the place that they're in. They had no guarantee that there would be enough left over for them. How would they have known? How could they have known? To their natural minds, there was barely enough to feed one man, let alone 5,000. And what if they gave of themselves doing the will of Jesus, serving other people, and then on the other side, they would have to go without? That was a very real possibility in their minds. And perhaps they thought that they had to choose between taking care of themselves or taking care of others. But that really wasn't the choice. That wasn't the choice. It wasn't an either-or scenario. It was a both-and scenario. And because they chose to do the will of Jesus first, everyone shout first, not only were 5,000 fed, but the disciples had their fill too. For the Bible says, John 6 and 12, and everyone, after everyone was full, he turned to his disciples and he said, boys, Go and gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. And the Bible says that they picked up the pieces, the fragments, and they filled 12 baskets. I don't think that that's a coincidence. 12 men fill up 12 baskets. And they did so with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. I think you see what I'm saying here tonight, but if they would have prioritized themselves first, yes, they would have left with a full belly. But everybody else would have left empty. Maybe would have gotten faint and perished on the way home. That was the initial concern anyway. And so they would have been satisfied. Others would not have been. But because they chose rather to seek first the kingdom and do the will of Jesus first, not only did the 5,000 have their fill, the disciples each left with a full basket. The question tonight is, do I want a full belly? satisfying my own hunger, prioritizing my own needs, or do I want everyone to share in the miracle and be filled and then leave with a full basket? That's the question. Do we want full bellies or full baskets? Because if we'll prioritize God's kingdom first, Jesus said that everything else that we could have need of, everything else that we would pursue in place of God's kingdom, we get everything anyway. We get the, the loaves, we get the fish, we get full bellies and some left over for the rest of the week. That's the power and the promise of the Word of God. Is this not an easy choice? Is this not an easy choice when it's framed this way? It's easy to say, well, of course I want that. But on this side, it, it takes faith, doesn't it? On this side, when we're faced with the choice to either self-preserve and build our own kingdoms or or lean in and build gods, it takes faith. It takes faith. Because to my flesh and to my carnal mind, it is difficult. It's difficult. It doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't add up. Five loaves, two fish, 5,000 men, it doesn't add up. Twelve baskets left over, it doesn't add up. But, but faith. Stepping out and trusting in God. Seek first the kingdom. And all these things will be added. I knew what the Lord, where the Lord had led me for this service. And I did not coordinate with pastor. But I have to tell you that the way that service ended this morning, pretty much in identical fashion is the way that I intended to end service tonight. And I'll hasten to a close, but... 
I would like to talk to us about our prayer. Because one of the areas that this principle certainly can be applied, it it is our prayer life. Jesus, again, he relays it in the context of money, materialism, mammon. And we understand, and many in the room, we can testify to the fact that, that our less is blessed. Many of us have implemented the principle of the tithe and the giving of offering. And, and i got to tell you, I, I'll just be a witness tonight. I've never gone without. I've never had a bill go unpaid. God has been faithful. Because my less is blessed. And I don't know, cars might last longer because I do that. And I praise God for it. A few less breakdowns. I don't know. A few less things go wrong around the house. A few less plumber calls, electrician calls. I'll thank God for it. I don't know all the ways that he's provided, but my less becomes blessed. My less becomes blessed. And I don't know, there's something about doing the work of God and expending not just finance, but the resource of my life and my time. And like Jesus, I can say... Uh, I have meat that you know, know not of, and my meat is to do the work of the kingdom. I'm refreshed by doing kingdom work. And I could have pursued all these other trivial pursuits all the day long, and I could have gotten weary. But when I seek his kingdom first, I feel refreshed, and I still have energy to do the rest of the stuff i got to do. It's a principle, but we can apply it to our prayer life. And really, in some ways, I think Jesus kind of ties it all together in his Sermon on the Mount. Because right before the scripture in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added, just prior to that, Matthew 6.32, the, immediate, the statement immediately preceding this principle is, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Jesus knows our needs And that phrase was familiar to his audience because he had just said it moments earlier. And the first time that he said it, it wasn't in reference to money. It was in reference to prayer. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 7, he's back up in his sermon a little bit. He said, but when you pray, don't use vain repetitions like the heathen do. They think that they'll be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your Father knoweth what things you have need of, Before you ask him. Do you see how this is all connected? And I think that when Jesus later in the sermon would give the principle of seeking the kingdom and everything being added, I imagine that people would have retroactively kind of applied that principle to prayer. It's all kind of calling into the same thing. God knows our needs even before we bring them to him. But when we pray, isn't it it true? And I, I, I can... Admit to the fact that there are times when it's easy to pray inwardly. There is a temptation to pray selfishly, not not in some animus way, like I'm trying to be wrong or I'm trying to be selfish, but it's just I have needs. I have needs. God, I, I need you to take care of this and that, and my family needs this, and our church needs that, and I've got needs so I can pray Inwardly, selfishly, there's this temptation sometimes to pray only about my needs and not ever take time to pray about things beyond myself and about things that pertain to the kingdom. But to that, Jesus says, hold on. I already know your needs. I know your needs. And if you spend all of your time just bringing me your laundry list of needs, I know it already. 
I've got it already. I've got the list in my hand. I'm just following along with you. I'm following along. It feels like we have to choose sometimes, doesn't it? God, if I spend my time praying about the needs of the kingdom, then who will travail for my needs? If I pray for the kingdom, pray about the kingdom, who will pray for my family? If I spend time interceding about the kingdom, who will intercede for my issues? And so we can at times become consumed with everything going on in our own lives and never lend our voices long enough to God to pray kingdom prayers. And it's not that we should never pray personal prayers. It's not that we should never pray about our own needs. But, but first, the kingdom. But first, the kingdom. Why? Because Jesus knows what we have need of before we even tell Him our needs. And so Jesus said, Matthew 6, verse 9, because of all this, in light of the fact that Jesus knows, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And just after you get a little bit of praise out of your mouth and off of your lips, the first thing that you pray about, the first thing that you petition the throne of God about is thy kingdom come and thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Everyone say, first the kingdom. First, the kingdom. The first thing I ought to be praying about is God, revival. Lord, I'm praying that you would touch down in my city. Lord, I'm praying for my leadership. I'm praying for laborers. I'm praying for the lost. God, I'm praying you would do a work in my day. I'm praying about the need that my brother has, that my sister has. I'm praying about that one that just came through a procedure or just got that diagnosis. God, I'm lifting them to you in prayer. Praying beyond ourselves. Praying kingdom prayers. It's powerful. And I'm not saying again, this is, you know, it's not that it's an abundantly hard line. It certainly is okay to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Certainly fine to pray that. It's fine to pray, forgive us our debts. It's, it's okay to pray, lead us not into temptation. We can pray personal oriented prayers but first thy kingdom come but first thy will be done I seek first the kingdom but here's the beautiful thing if I will seek first the kingdom because he knows what I have need of all these things shall be added unto me and I believe if I will turn my focus from off of myself for a few minutes every day and pray beyond myself as I pray for some other need God is able to step in and meet my need if I will seek the kingdom first and pray kingdom prayers first then all of these things because he knows the need they can be added. They can be added. Music, join me. If we only pray prayers about us and never the kingdom, perhaps it will cause our prayers to even go unanswered. James said in James 4, verse 3, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. How are we asking amiss? He said that you might consume it upon your Lust. In other words, what he is saying is your prayers are very self-serving, very self-centered. It's about you and me and mine to the exclusion of all else. And because of it, we're missing it because, because this isn't necessarily an either-or proposition. 
God says, pray the kingdom. Pray the kingdom. And if you'll do that, I'll bless all of it. I'll bless, I'll answer all of it. I'll give you the kingdom and I'll give you the other need that's been burdening, burdening you. I'll give you an answer to that diagnosis that's been troubling you. I'll give you an answer in that family situation, in that, in that relationship that's been fractured, in that wandering son or daughter. I can work there if you'll lend me your voice. Lend me your voice and watch me work. Pray a prayer that benefits my kingdom and I'll bless your kingdom. You'll get both. I think this, this is kind of, kind of an easy choice when you frame it that way, isn't it? I want to begin to look beyond myself a little bit more. And that's what I feel the Lord has challenged me with for this service. To look beyond self. To look beyond me and mine. If it is all about me when I pray, my promotion, my health, my well-being, my relationships, then I think I'm missing an opportunity to see the kingdom of, of God advance in great measure. It's not that God doesn't want to work in these areas of my life. God does need us to take our eyes off ourselves every once in a while and start feeling the weight and the burden of the kingdom of God. Start feeling the weight and the burden of our lost world. I just want to tell somebody tonight that if you will, if you will lend your voice to God, if you'll prioritize kingdom prayers, pray about the lost, pray about your leadership, pray for laborers, pray against the enemy and pull down the kingdom of darkness and bind every spirit, every, every, every spiritual wickedness in high places, the rulers of the darkness of this world. If we will bind it, if we'll pray kingdom prayers, God, God will take care of our kingdom. If you'll lend your voice to God, God will not only give you the kingdom, He'll give you all the rest anyway. He'll throw it in just because. I close with King Solomon. 1 Kings 1. He becomes the third nation of the nation of Israel, the third king, excuse me, of the nation of Israel. Son of King David, and he succeeded his father just a short time before his passing. And I can imagine that it would have been a weighty thing to assume the throne after David. After all, David was a mighty warrior. He was a sweet psalmist, a passionate worshiper. And he was beloved by the people. David, the man after God's own heart, had done much good, and he had built the kingdom to a place of strength and stability. And now it's Solomon's turn. And he had to decide what kind of king he wanted to be. Would he be tyrannical and lord over the people? Would he be self-serving and live in the lap of luxury and just coast? Would he rest on his laurels and become passive? Well, early on in his reign, he was given the opportunity to show God what kind of king he wanted to be. 1 Kings 3 verse 5, In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream one night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. I believe tonight, and this story was the one that led to this sermon. I believe that that same kind of blank check is available for every believer in the house tonight. God would say, what do you want? Ask me 
and I'll give it to you. Pray it and it will happen. I believe that he, he is able to do I believe he hears us when we pray and he answers when we call. And so Solomon, he responds to God in verse 9. He says, well, I, I suppose give me a, an understanding heart so that I can judge thy people. I want to be able to do your will in this kingdom better. So give me an understanding heart so that I can discern between good and bad for who is able to judge this thy so great a people. Solomon asked for wisdom so that he could lead God's people well. It was a selfless, kingdom-oriented prayer. Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. And this saying, the Bible tells us that, that what Solomon prayed, it pleased the Lord. And God spoke back to Solomon again, and he says, because thou hast asked this thing, because you've asked me for wisdom, and you didn't ask for thyself long life or for riches for thyself, nor have you asked the life of your enemies, but you've asked for yourself understanding to discern judgment so that you can do my will and lead my people. Behold, verse 12, I've done according to your words. I'm going to answer your prayer, Solomon, and I'm going to give you the kingdom. I'm going to give you an answer to this kingdom prayer. I'm going to, I'm going to give you wisdom and understanding so that there will be nobody like you before you, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. There is nobody that has ever been as wise as King Solomon simply because he prayed a kingdom-oriented prayer. But this is what I love because God also said, verse 13, and I have also given that which thou hast not asked. You could have prayed for riches. You could have prayed for your enemies on a silver platter. You could have prayed for honor and prestige and all the rest. But you didn't. And because you didn't, and because you prayed the kingdom first, I'm going to give you all the things that you didn't ask. And I'm going to give you riches and honor. And there's not going to be any among the kings like unto thee all of the days. Nobody like Solomon. Solomon's life, it reminds us if we will seek first the kingdom, if we will pray first the kingdom, if we will pray first, thy kingdom come. And thy will be done, not just in earth, but in earth as it is in heaven. Then all these things will be added. I believe that today. I believe the promise of the word of God. And to everybody maybe that has been holding in reserve a little bit left for yourself. For everybody that maybe has had your priorities a little bit upside down and you've, you've prayed so much about things about your own life to the exclusion of kingdom prayers, I'm not here to indict you. I'm just here to maybe shift that around a little bit in the Holy Ghost and say if you will lend your voice to God, not only will we see great kingdom expansion in the city of Fredericton and in the region of Atlantic Canada, in the nation of Canada and around the world, not only will we see that, I believe that God will step in and heal your body. I believe that God will step in and return that wayward son or daughter. I believe that God can take care of these things if we'll seek the kingdom first. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that if we'll pray kingdom prayers, then God can take care of all the needs that he already knows about?
Stand together with me. I'm done. I asked them to be ready for this. And I want us to end this service the way that we ended this morning's service. And I would like us to turn our eyes off of ourselves for a little while. And I would like to again pray for our city. Pray for those beyond ourselves. Pray that God would allow laborers to enter into His harvest and that revival would come to the church and to our communities and that God would do a work above all that we could ask or even think. If you would like to pray a prayer like that, a kingdom prayer, a prayer that impacts not just you but your city, I wonder if you would step out of where you're standing right now if you could come to this front. Because I believe that God, as we pray prayers like that, that cancers can die. Do you believe that today? I feel like we need to break through something in this moment. Just feel like there's a little bit of resistance in the spirit. Do you believe what I'm preaching today? That if we will turn our eyes to heaven and if we will lift our prayer about heavenly kingdom things, then God can take care of any family situation that might you might be facing at this moment in this service. I believe that today. If we'll seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added. So I wonder, intercessors, can you raise your hands? People of God, if you know how to pray at all, I wonder if you'd lift your hands right now. Can we put that map back on the screen if it's available? And can we just lift our voices now? Can we begin to intercede? Before this morning service ever happened, this is how I plan to end this service tonight. I just feel like we're in the will of God right now. If we lift our voice and if we'll pray and intercede for our city, then God can work in all other arenas of our life. In the name of the Lord Jesus, God, we turn our attention. God, we shift our focus to the kingdom. God, to souls. Lord, I, I, I turn my eyes off of myself right now. I turn my focus off of my own issues and my own problems and my own feelings and my own faults. God, I turn away from that. And Lord, I lift my eyes to the harvest. God, I lift my eyes to the city of Fredericton. God, I lift my eyes to souls that are in need of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I lift my voice now on behalf of eyes that are blinded. They need that light of the gospel to shine to them, oh God. So I pray on their behalf. I mediate between heaven and earth right now. I enter seed on behalf of the lost right now and I'm believing God that you're reaching even now I'm believing that you're drawing even now oh yes God oh yes God God, we're lending you our voices tonight. God, we're giving you our voice, the center of all spiritual warfare in the earth. God, we're not going to be quiet about kingdom needs. We're not going to be quiet 
about the things that trouble your heart, God. Let us be troubled also for the things that trouble your heart, God. Let us be burdened also and moved with compassion also for the things that move your heart, God. God, we speak it into existence now. God, we speak souls added to the kingdom such as should be saved. Come on, I feel that rising in the sanctuary tonight. I wish you'd boldly just lift your voice, pray in the Holy Ghost. I believe God is praying through you as you give Him your voice. Lend Him your vocal cords for a few minutes. Spirit of God, pray through your people right now. Spirit of God, pray through your people right now. on church we're just in a little prayer meeting right now let's not be spectators let's not be silent I would that you would lift your voice I would that every child of God that names the name of Jesus I wish you'd pray a big prayer right now I wish you'd pray something impossible on behalf of this city that we call home Lord God, we bind false doctrine. We, we bind error. We bind everything that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. In the name of Jesus right now, I bind everything, every untruth, every lie of hell. And I pray, God, that the truth of your word, the truth of God, the truth of who you are, Lord Jesus, I pray that it would shine. I pray, God, that it, there would be revelation in Atlantic Canada once again. Let it not be relegated to our past, but in our present. Right now, God, we're not even praying on down in the future somewhere, but God, right now, we're claiming it in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. Sing, there is no one. There.